Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. So I've been asking several of you to give some feedback on what's on your mind, and I got great response if, uh, from you on what you wanted to hear preached. If you did not get a chance to tell me uh, some things that are on your mind, the door is still open, so I'm interested to hear what you're thinking about. And I got several responses, enough actually for us to not just pick a couple and forget the rest, but actually take the next uh, five or six weeks and preach on them, so... There's still some time if you have them, uh, something on your mind you'd like us to talk about. So, can I start off with something kind of sad? You guys ready? No? Okay, let's do it. The year 2050 is as close to us as 1990 today. Isn't that weird? Anybody else feel weird about that? That 2050 is as close to us today as 1990 is? So I want to take you back to 1990. Are you ready? Let's go back to 1990. Who remembers it? It was a great time to be alive. Yeah, Amy, you're going to be really excited about this. The most popular musician, in my opinion, seven-year-old opinion, was Garth Brooks. Now, for those of you who don't know who Garth Brooks is, he's basically take, like, peak Justin Bieber plus peak Taylor divided by peak Beyonce, and you probably get about what, um, you know, Garth Brooks was. He was the coolest guy out there in 1990. And in 1990, he performed the closest thing ever to a hymn. He sang a song called Unanswered Prayers. Cody, actually, I was going to ask him to lead it for the invitation song, but he chose not to. <laughs> could have had the words up here. We could have sang Garth Brooks' Unanswered Prayers, and it would have been great. But, and the song is uh, it's, it's kind of funny, actually, if you listen to it. It's, it's nice. You know, it's got a good thought about thanking God for the prayers that go unanswered. And it's about he and his wife, Garth and his wife, uh, running into his old high school flame at an old football game, and they are catching up, and he's there with his wife talking to his old girlfriend. I'm sure that was comfortable, and um, it reminded him in that moment, in the song it tells us, it reminded him of how often he prayed to marry that girl in high school, and then he didn't, and so now he says some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Oh. And the song leaves you with this like warm and fuzzy feeling like, oh man, this is great, you know, everything works out. And, you know, some of God's greatest gifts are just these unanswered prayers. And it can almost make you fall in love with the idea of unanswered prayers, you know. It's like, oh, this is just, everything just kind of shakes out, it's wonderful. But there's two things that are kind of ironic about that song, at least worth noting. The first one is this. Garth is only happy about his prayer going unanswered because the girl ended up being not so great. The second line of the song says, um, you know, she wasn't quite the angel I remembered in my dreams. So it's like, this song is, he's only happy because he sees her now and he's like, ah, oh, I'm glad I didn't marry that girl. You know, like, <laughs> poor girl, you know, like, Garth ain't so great, man. I've seen him lately. He's looking rough, man. She's, she probably had her prayers unanswered, you know. And the second thing, that's worth noting about that song, you know, some of God's greatest gifts, unanswered prayer, makes us feel warm and fuzzy, is he's only really experiencing that gratitude and that thankfulness and this warm, fuzzy feeling after the fact because things worked out for him. 
right? He's got his wife next to him. He bumps into his old flame. He sees that he got an upgrade from that situation, and he says, God, I'm so grateful for unanswered prayers because he's now in the future, and he likes what he has. Honestly, unanswered prayers really aren't that enjoyable, are they? Man, when prayers go unanswered, it can actually be kind of painful. And we're not always thankful for unanswered prayers in the middle of those prayers being unanswered. As we're in the moment of praying and praying and praying and we're not seeing an answer or it appears that the answer is no. In those moments, actually, it's kind of miserable. We sound probably much less like Garth and much more like Habakkuk when he said in chapter 1, verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry to you and you will not hear me? Or like Job, as he would weep and cry and pray to God, what's going on? Help me understand. Make things different. And it's not actually enjoyable. Unanswered prayers can actually be kind of miserable. And so we got to ask, how should we handle them? That was one of the questions that was asked to me. was, what do we do with prayers that go unanswered? Especially when you pray for things that it seems like it's what exactly God would want. How do you deal with that? i got two things to share with you this morning. One is this. The first thing we got to do when we're, when we're in the midst of fighting through prayers that are unanswered and we're wanting something and we're crying out for something and it even seems like the right thing and the answer's not coming and the yes is not there and we're just waiting and waiting and praying and praying, what should we do? The first thing is this, is you got to consider all the possibilities. Consider all the possibilities. It was J.I. Packer who said that there's actually no such thing as an unanswered prayer. There are just unfavorable answers. That God is actually constantly always answering. And so I point this to, to you for this reason. You've got to consider what possible answers you might be getting. God is always answering, but if you're not seeing the request being granted, sometimes you may be wondering, okay, what is the answer? Because it feels like it's unanswered, but it could be this. Number one, God could be saying, this is not my will. The thing you're asking for, the thing that you're wanting, is not my will for you. And him being a good God, a good father, might be answering in a no because it's not his will. God wants us. Over and over through Scripture, you notice in our reading this morning in John 15, he says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. And he wants us to be that confident in our prayers that what I ask, like Mark chapter 11 says, verse 24, that I know that when I ask it, I can be confident that I will have an answer for it. It's going to come to pass. God wants us to have expectation of those answers. But there's such an important caveat that you've got to really see, and it's in 1 John chapter 5, where he really brings in this idea together where he says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, he listens to us. And when we ask according to his will, he brings forth that answer. And here's what this really is. It's not some divine bait and switch where God says, I promise, hey, listen, you're a Christian, whatever you ask, I'll give you anything you want. And then later, you know, in the fine print, he says, but it's got to be according to my will. No, this is much more like the open teaching Jesus did in Matthew chapter 7. You remember it. He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. 
Ask, seek, knock, it'll be open to you. And then he goes on to tell this story, though, in the midst of saying that. He says, which one of you, being a father, if his son asks for a fish, would give him a stone? Who would do that? That doesn't make sense, does it? Which one of you, if your son asks for, um, you know, a loaf of bread, would give him uh, something like uh, a snake? You know, he goes on to explain that. And he says, God, being a perfect father, and you not being perfect, but God being a perfect father, will he not more so? give you every good thing. Here's why, according to God's will, is an important caveat. Because what God's will is, is exactly what is best for us. And we don't always know that. And so God wants you to be praying. He wants you to be asking for things. And if you're not seeing an answer yet, or you're not, or it's appearing like things aren't going to work out the way that you want them to, the answer could be, this is not part of my will. The second possibility is this. As you're praying and asking and it feels like the answer is no or the answer is unanswered, it's not coming, it could be God saying not just that this is not my will, but this is not my timing. This is not my time. Think about the quote I told you in Habakkuk. So Habakkuk is a prophet that's um, preaching to Judah, the southern kingdom, probably in Jerusalem there, and he's teaching and preaching. And the Assyrians had just demolished the northern kingdom, Israel taken them captive, ransacked their cities. Life was miserable. And Habakkuk knows that Assyria is going to be conquered by this nation called Babylon, and Babylon is going to come down, and they're going to destroy the nation of Judah. And Habakkuk is torn up about it. He's bothered by it. And he says, God, how long do I have to see evil? How long do I have to see vile, awful behavior? Make all this stop. He's wanting Judah to stop living sinfully. That sounds like the will of God, doesn't it? Like for, for Habakkuk to be praying, I want the sin and these people to stop. I want to stop seeing evil. That sounds like the will of God. And it is. And in his prayer, God says to him in chapter 1, verse 5, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. Now listen to this line. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. Do you hear what God told Habakkuk? He's saying, I'm working right now. I'm raising up nations. I'm conquering nations. I'm working through people. I'm making things happen. You don't see it. I know, Habakkuk, you want this to stop right now. You want the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Judah, to repent and be different. I know you want that to change, but I'm working on it. But it's not going to happen right now. And if I told you, you wouldn't understand. So what he's saying is, it's not my timing. Fixing the sin problem in Judah, that instant was not actually what God was trying to work. He was going to solve that sin problem. But he was doing it in his time. So you and I can be praying for the right thing. And we need to be confident that God is working and happening in his time. There's one other answer. So God could be saying, hey... This is not my will. The answer is no. What you want um, might not be what's best for you or it's not best for you, so accept the answer. It also could be when you're praying for something that God's saying, it's not time yet. Keep praying, keep pressing in, keep being faithful, but it's not time yet. The third possibility is this, that when you're praying and praying for something and you're not seeing things change or things be different, God could be saying, this is not in my control. That sounds strange to say about God, but here's how it works. You could be praying for something that is in his will, exactly something that he wants. 
and he may not answer, may not give you the answer that you want because it's out of his control. Now, as the sovereign Lord of the world, there's nothing, theoretically, that's outside of God's control. If he wanted me to stop preaching right now, he could make it happen in an instant. If he wanted me to stop being alive right now, he could make that happen in an instant. If he wanted me to have yellow hair, if he wanted me, he can make that happen. Nothing theoretically is outside of his ability to control. But God, as the sovereign Lord, practices constraint for the sake of relationship. You see, where there's control, there is no cultivated relationship. And because God, from the very beginning, created us as God is love, out of love, for love, inherent in the nature of love and relationship is the possibility of choice to be with him or to not be with him to stay or to leave and so God as the sovereign Lord over all has decided that he would restrain some control to provide the space for relationship and so he does this for individual will and you may be asking God in your life for somebody to change this is a big prayer that a lot of people have in their life maybe they have a relationship in their life with a boss or a spouse or a child, or a grandchild, and they want things to change in that person's life. You may even be being affected by their behavior, the way they're living. It may be negatively affecting you. You're praying out to God over and over. I want them to stop living this way, to stop being this way. And it might even be good things. But God may be reserved in his answer because he says that's out of my control. Now here's the other thing you have to think about, though. As you're praying for things to change, specifically in people's lives, you may be asking God for somebody to become a Christian who's not yet a Christian. And you may be asking God, isn't this the thing that you want? I mean, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. If there's anything that summarizes the will of God in Jesus Christ, wouldn't it be that lost people be saved? And so as you pray and pray, especially for somebody to be saved, First of all, God's saying, I allow those people to make choices. But secondly, God may actually be answering that prayer in a way that you don't see. He may be sending messages to that person. He may be sending people to that person to speak to them. He may be sending difficult seasons to that person's life to wake them up to reality. He may be walking them through times of pain and challenge and difficulty to try to shake the cage a little bit to get them to wake up to who God is. He may be sending feedback over and over, and that person just may not be listening. God very well could be answering your prayer to the level to which he answers it. And so you got to continue to pray, continue to press in. When you don't see answers, it's possible that it's not God's will, that it's not his time, that he's chosen for it to not be his control. Let me give you the second thing to do. So the first thing, when you're not seeing answers, consider what the possibilities might be. Secondly, you got to commit yourself to the principles of true prayer. Let me explain what I mean by that. When you are not seeing answers in your prayer, there are two really important principles that you got to bring yourself to to really think about and commit yourself to. Let me tell you the first one. The first thing you got to do, I would encourage you, is to look at your own life. I've got to look at my life. If I'm praying for things and I'm asking God for things and I'm certain that they are his will and they are good and I'm praying and praying, it's important for me to look at my life. Let me give you a few examples. James chapter 1 tells me I need to pray without doubting. For a man who doubts is tossed like a wave in the sea. 
to and fro. God says, when you come to me and you pray, do not doubt. That's a double-minded person. So I need to see, as I'm praying, do I really believe that God can and God will? Second thing is for our husbands in here, 1 Peter chapter 3 says that the way that I treat my wife has the power to hinder or release my prayers to God. All right, husbands, look up. Look at me. The way you treat your wife dictates if your prayers make it to the throne or not. If you are condescending and critical, if you are annoyed and constantly frustrated, if you are unkind and ungracious to them, God, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, that you are to dwell with your wife with understanding so that your prayers are not hindered. It's that serious. If my prayers are not being answered, I need to look and check my life. How am I treating my spouse? James chapter 4 says that you ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motivations. You've got to check your motivations. Why do you want the thing that you're asking for? Is it ill motivation? Isaiah chapter 58 tells us, he's warning the people there in, in Israel. He's saying God's not listening to your prayers and God is not answering your prayers because you are cold-hearted to the poor and oppressed around you. I believe certainly that God stops listening and stops answering our prayer if we are indifferent to the suffering that surrounds us. How dare we come to the throne and say, God, take care of my needs. If we look around us and say, I could care less about the needs around me. We don't have the nature of God in us. We don't have the spirit of God in us. If we look around and see people hurting and people suffering, people struggling, and we go, eh, whatever. But hey, God, while you're at it, can you uh, rain some answers for me? Isaiah 58 tells us that God stops listening when we grow cold-hearted to those that are suffering around us. John chapter 15, verse 7, in our passage here that Mike read for us. Listen, in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. That if is conditional. If. If you abide in Jesus, and Jesus' words abide in you, ask what you wish, it will be done. He sees pressing on us now about obedience. Listening to what he has to say. And following him. Obedience is not just the thing that unlocks prayers being answered with yes. Obedience is the thing that unlocks our alignment to the heart and mind of God. You see, when you abide in Christ and you abide in his word, what happens is the second key principle of prayer. So when you are not seeing answers, you got to look at yourself. you got to be willing to say, okay, is there sin in my life? Is there something in my life that's hindering my relationship with God right now? But the second thing is, is not just to look at your life, but to look at his will. To look at his will. If my words, Jesus said, if my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done. You see, his will is the one place that you can be completely certain that the answer is always yes. The promises of God, the things that God has promised to do for us, the things that God has said, I will do this in Jesus Christ. Here's what you have. You and I can be certain that if I pray for those things, he will deliver. Let me give you an example. It says in Romans chapter 5 that the Holy Spirit of God pours the love of God into our hearts. How? I don't know. But that's what it says. 
And then you go over to Ephesians chapter 3. And you see Paul pray in verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he begins praying for the Ephesian Christians. And he says, I pray that you would have a spirit in you that strengthens you to know that you are loved by Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The promise is, the Holy Spirit will pour God's love into your heart. Paul then prays for it. God begins to abide in you. You become very familiar with the mind, the heart, the will of God. And when you learn the mind, the heart, the will of God and how good it is for you, what do you think you start asking for over and over and over? God, I want this to be true in my life. I want this to happen. I want what your word says to be there. And you start learning. He promises things like his presence, not just perfect circumstances. He promises things like his joy, not just ease in life. He promises things like peace that transcends difficulty and challenges. Those are the things that he begins to promise. The word is nevertheless. Jesus said, Father, I want things to be different. Nevertheless, not my will but yours. When you and I learn to pray, nevertheless, something changes. God, here is what I want. God, I want this to be different. I want this person to change. I need this to be easier. This is really hard. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. And you finish with nevertheless. I'm with you. I trust you. And what I need out of all the things that I'm asking for, out of all the things that I want to be different in life, when you draw to 30,000 feet and look at the whole forest and you draw back and you realize, what really do you need in this life? You realize you need Him. If I have Him, I can go through everything else that I'm going to face. The answer to Jesus' prayer in the garden actually cost Him everything. It cost him the very thing that we need. Remember, what we need is God's presence with us. Jesus' prayer in the garden, we said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, Father. It cost him the presence of the Father. Because for a moment in time, that presence was lost. The world went dark for three hours. And Jesus cried out all alone. And he did that so that you and I would constantly have an ever-present ability to go to the Father, to pray to him, and to know that we'll never be rejected in Jesus Christ. So if you're struggling in prayer right now, if there's things that you're wanting, even if they're great things, the right things, the good things, labor with God in prayer, trusting that He is answering sometimes in ways you don't know, and He will work in your life. And the ultimate goal of prayer is not just that you see results in every little thing, but that you develop a relationship with the loving Father who wants to be one with you. So if you're struggling in prayer and it's causing you to doubt your faith, or maybe prayer is the reason you haven't had faith. Maybe you tried to pray for something to happen and it didn't happen, and now you look to the heavens and say, that's not fair. I want to invite you back to the one who gives you the opportunity to pray, Jesus Christ, and see the one who had a prayer that went unanswered and how it turned out for us. It turned out great for us. And he did that for our joy and for our peace and for his joy and it worked out well. Won't you come? Let's stand and see.